0: One of the ways that I attempt, uh, don't always succeed, but one of the ways that I attempt to stay connected to the news and into the happenings of the world is by turning on the television really early uh, in the morning before the kids wake up, because when the kids wake up, as you know, uh, it, it, all other bets are off. And so uh, this Monday morning, I found myself in a similar position. Uh, I got up early, I went to the coffee pot, which is always the first priority. I poured a cup of coffee. Uh, and I walked over to the remote and turned on a show called uh, Morning Joe, which is a a news program sometimes I'll watch from time to time. And the the first thing that they were talking about, actually it was the lead story, uh, was the nuclear program in Iran. And specifically, they were talking about a new deal or a better arrangement uh, that was being worked on, and a deadline for that arrangement that was coming up, I think on Tuesday, that has since been extended, as as political deadlines often do. So, uh, Secretary of State Kerry was over, I think, in Switzerland, some part of Europe, meeting with a lot of other world parties, uh, select members of the UN Security Council, to try to to negotiate with Iran this, this new deal. Now, even if you're not a foreign policy junkie, If you are, the two of you that are here are really going to like this. But for the rest of us, uh, even if you're not, you probably understand that this is actually a pretty big deal, I mean, this nuclear program in Iran. I mean, most of the world is very, very concerned about it. It's a very contentious, very serious uh, issue. And so, as I understood the the news story, as I watched it, basically what they're trying to do is come to some type of new and better arrangement for this situation, a new and, and better deal that would would help to, to manage the world relationship all the better. Uh, so on one hand, you'd have a better world security uh, if, if there were tighter uh, security measures on the development. And then on the other hand, uh, even helping Iran, the, the economies would, would be better uh, across the world because of all the tight sanctions that are going on right now. So, so that was the big idea from what I understood. And, and here's the point. Here's the point. There are times as in the case with, with Iran's nuclear weapons program or nuclear development program, where you've got to get a new deal on the table, there has to be a, a better arrangement that's established because, frankly, the old one just isn't working. Or, or maybe it's kind of working, but it's not really achieving the maximum result, the most desired result, and, and ultimately it's, it's not maximizing the relationship. And so, You've got to throw out the old arrangement and and put together a new and better arrangement. We're actually going to talk about something similar tonight. We're going to talk about a biblical idea that that also works in some ways to establish and to maintain relationships, specifically our relationship to God. It's a means and a mechanism that God has used throughout redemption history, so much so that that some scholars argue it is the, the primary theme of the entire Bible. What we're going to talk about tonight is is something that the Bible calls covenant. In particular, we're going to talk about the new covenant from the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 8. And what I, I hope and pray that we will see is that the death of Jesus Christ, His cross, His atoning work, the event that we are here to remember and to commemorate tonight, the death of Jesus Christ establishes a new and better covenant for our relationship with God. Jesus and his cross ushers in and establishes a new and better arrangement for our relationship with God. Of course, the question is, what in the world makes it so much better? I mean, What was wrong with the old one? Why, why did there need to be a, another covenant, a new covenant, if there was already one in place? What, why is it so important to our relationship with God that we have this, this new covenant all of a sudden? How does it connect back to the way that we live our lives as Christians? Really, what, what makes the new and better covenant so much new and better? These are the questions that, uh, that we humbly bring uh, to God's Word tonight. So as we, we open the Bible together this Good Friday, why don't we pray, and then we will look uh, into Hebrews 8. Pray with me. Father we humbly and eagerly ask you to teach us your truth tonight. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear the richness and the truth of your word. Father, help us to to glorify and honor and make much of your son Jesus, especially as we remember his atoning death and, and what that death accomplished so many years ago. A new and a better covenant for our relationship with you. Father, we pray these and all things in His good name. Amen. So why don't you go ahead and meet me then in your Bibles uh, in Hebrews chapter 8. I hope you brought a Bible tonight on Good Friday. I don't have the Pew Bible number, uh, but the book of Hebrews is, is in the New Testament. It's after the pastoral, pastoral epistles of First and Second Timothy and Titus. So if you keep turning right, you will come to the book of Hebrews chapter 8, and we'll, we'll be looking closely at verses 6 to 12. And as you turn over there uh, to the book of Hebrews, I want to I give you probably the quickest background on covenant that you may ever hear. Um, but I want to establish a little bit of a baseline because we talk about the new covenant. It's probably good for us to have some type of understanding as to what covenant is in the first place. So uh, what you, you would have historically is two parties, two contracting parties that would essentially agree to certain terms, to certain conditions about a particular issue or a relationship. And then to symbolize just how serious they were about this, the, the binding nature of the agreement. It would, it would be typical for an animal to be killed and then to be divided into two different pieces. Both of the, the contracting parties would then walk through the, the middle of the slain animal, and, and at some point they would make a, a statement, something to the effect that was very serious, that, that may what was done to this animal be done to me, If I fail to keep this covenant, if I fail to meet the terms and conditions, if I don't keep up my end of the bargain, may it be done to me what was actually done to this animal. So so this was a big deal. It was an important relationship. And it was not just a a binding legal agreement. It it was actually an agreement of relational intimacy. Um, We we might liken it to to a a marriage today. When I stand up here and I lay out certain terms and vows for couples to say, and they repeat those vows saying that they will keep them, Tim Keller actually summarizes this idea about covenant nicely. He says a covenant relationship is a relationship that is both totally binding and totally intimate all at the same time. We also know from, from studying the Bible that covenant is also kind of like a will. It, it's not just a cosmic negotiation where, where God gives us something and we try to get a little bit back. It's, it's really more like a will where you have a dominant party, right? God is the dominant party. Uh, in terms of the covenant. He would always initiate the covenant, so he would say, here are the terms, here are the promises, uh, and here's what happens if those terms are broken. So for example, uh, we're gonna talk a lot about uh, the covenant that God made with Moses and his people at Mount Sinai, from Exodus chapter 19. God would say something like, now therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. Among all peoples, so you get the idea. It's a bit like an agreement, it's a bit like a marriage, it's a bit like a will, and it's a bit unique all at the same time. And so, with that little bit of background, we uh, we come over to Hebrews chapter eight. Hopefully, you found your way there by now. And, uh, and I appreciate Nathan setting that up so brilliantly for us, because he gave us the first five verses that, that hopefully didn't make much sense to you, because the passage really needs to be read in context. And so we get a little bit of this background, the importance of the priesthood, the importance of what was happening in the Old Covenant, how it was a shadow of things to come, what's that all about? And then in verse 6, the author springboards into this remarkable section on the new covenant, and, and this, this passage of scripture includes what is the longest quote uh, in, the, in, in the New Testament from the Old Testament, a quote from Jeremiah 31, so why don't I read uh, from verses 6 to 12, you go ahead and, uh, and follow along. The author says, But, as it is, Christ obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant that he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises, and I will remember their sins no more. Praise be to God for his sufficient word. So the death of Jesus Christ, the cross of Jesus Christ, establishes for us a new and better covenant for our relationship with God. What makes it better? We're going to look at at three aspects of the new covenant tonight from this passage that make it a superior arrangement, a better deal for our relationship with God. First, the new covenant is a better covenant because it provides a better mediator. The new covenant provides a better mediator for our relationship with God. We pick this up in verse 6. You might look back down at it with me. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better. Now, what does that really mean, mean, th- this idea of a mediator, and what, why the need for a mediator within these covenants? Well, in, in one respect, because there are two contracting parties in this deal, a mediator is necessary to maintain that relationship, to maintain the integrity and the fellowship of that covenant relationship. As a matter of fact, it's, it's kind of the basic meaning um, of the word mediator in the first place. So if you were to make a peanut butter sandwich, you got the two pieces of bread and you got peanut butter in the middle that mediates the two pieces of bread. Okay, So next time you make a peanut butter sandwich, I want you to think about covenant because the peanut butter is the mediator. But to, to really understand that Jesus is, is the better mediator, we have to think back uh, to the priests and the old covenant, the role of the priests within the old covenant. So what would happen is, is these priests would be the, the mediators between God and the people. So they represented God to the people. They would, they would serve and teach the people. Uh, and they would also, on the other side, represent uh, the people to God. So these priests would make sacrifices. Uh, they would make intercession on behalf of the people. But if we read the Old Testament, you, you, we'd, we'd see a few problems if you really read through it. Uh, the, the first is that these human mediators really could not uh, fully or perfectly mediate the relationship. They were imperfect at best, and at worst, uh, we see many, many places where they're totally corrupt. I mean, they've totally dropped the ball. You go to places like uh, 1 Samuel 2, I think it is, 1 Samuel 2 and a bit into chapter 3 where Eli's sons, they just make a mess of the whole deal. They make a mockery of their, their priestly duties. And, and again, even at their best, these Old Testament priests were only mediating, and this is really important, they were only mediating a shadow of the real work that needed to be done. So if I lift my hand up here on the platform, you can see I have a, a shadow like Peter Pan. Now, that's not the, the real me exactly. I mean, it is me, but it's not exactly me. It's, it's a shadow of who I am. And this is the kind of ministry that these priests had under the Old Covenant. Back in verse 5 of this passage, you can, you can even look back. Verse 5, they, meaning the the priests, the Old Testament priests, were serving just a copy or a shadow of the heavenly things. Why? Because the truest ministry of the covenant needed to happen in the very presence of God, in in the true tent, the author of Hebrews says. And so you can can kind of see the problem here. I mean, how could a, a merely human priest, a sinful person, mediate a covenant in heaven with the everlasting God of the universe. There's a conundrum there, there really is. And while God made some temporary provisions to work through this and to overcome this, these provisions really acted only as a shadow of the real thing to come. So there was a need for a better mediator, a better ministry that could take place in in the true tent. And and we have the opportunity tonight to rejoice that, that God has provided such a mediator in Jesus Christ. The one who the author of Hebrews says at the beginning of this chapter in verse 1, we have such a high priest, one who's seated at the right hand of God. So he's in the right place in heaven, a minister in the holy places, doing the right kind of ministry in the true tent that the Lord set up. I mean, he, he really is a better mediator in every way. I want you to think about what that actually means now for your life, a better mediator Because a mediator, again, is somebody who stands in between. And so you have someone who understands you in every way, the deepest way, the ugliest way possible. You have someone who Hebrews tells us who is in every respect tempted as we are yet was without sin. This is the mediator that you have. You you have a mediator who continually makes intercession before God on your behalf, who, who never grows weary of communicating the righteousness that he achieved that is given to us freely. Never, never gets tired of that. I get tired a lot. You get tired a lot, and yet Christ never tires as your mediator in representing you in the very best way that he could represent you before God. I mean, that is something, that is something to think about when you wake up in the middle of the night and you're anxious and you can't breathe and you can't fall back to sleep. Jesus is, is mediating for you. When you are in the middle of a, a hectic day and you're not even thinking about God, he is the furthest thing from your mind. I mean, you got stuff to do. you got kids and activities and aging parents and all these other things. Jesus is mediating for you. He, was, he is presenting his righteousness on your behalf in that very moment, friends. This is why the book of Hebrews says, hold fast to your confession. This is why that we can endure in the face of uncertainty and pain and sorrow and loss because before the throne of God above we have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love who ever and ever and ever lives and pleads for those that he calls his own. Better mediator. Uh, the second reason. The second reason for the superiority of the New Covenant, not only providing us a better mediator, but the New Covenant is better because it stands on better promises. Better promises mean a better covenant. We might uh, look back together. Again, verse 6, as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old. The covenant he mediates, it is better since now, it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then there wouldn't have been occasion to look for a second. Now, what in the world does he mean, better promises? I mean, I thought all God's promises were, were equally awesome and fantastic. I mean, what, what's, what's going on there with the, the first covenant somehow being faulty? I mean, what, what is that all about? I don't know about you, but that, that's a little bothersome to me. What's happening there? For some answers, we're going to check out two of the better promises that we see here from this passage as it comes to the new and better covenant. The first promise, the first better promise that the new covenant stands upon is the promise that God himself will fulfill and secure the terms. This is different than than the old covenant. Unlike the covenant of old, in the new covenant, God fulfills and secures all of the terms. Let's get back to the text In verse 8, this is where the author launches into that ginormous quote from the Old Testament in Jeremiah. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and so showed no concern for them, declares the Lord, I read a bit of that covenant passage from Exodus 19 when we first got started. And as we we transition and and contrast and compare the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, I wonder if you caught in those two verses the real fault of the Old Covenant. I don't think it was the law. I really don't. I mean, in Romans, Paul tells us that the law is is holy, right, and good. The real fault with the Old Covenant we see in verse 8 for he finds fault with them. Then again in verse 9, for they did not continue in my covenant. The real fault of the old covenant was the people. The fault, as it always is, is us. You see, Israel didn't keep the law. They could not keep the law, and, and neither do we. In fact, The law just affirms our own plight and our own condemnation and our own inability to keep it. And so, man, we need a better deal. We need a better arrangement, a better covenant wherein God is the guarantor of his success. And listen now, the only way, the only way that he can guarantee its success is by stepping in and fulfilling and securing all of the terms himself. And in the new covenant, friends, He has. Now, how in the world can we say this? How can we, we make a statement like this? I mean, it's wonderful, but how do we say something like this? Well, in his love and in his holiness, God in Christ fulfills his own demand for righteousness by, according to Romans 3, putting Jesus forward as a propitiation by his blood. This is why Paul continues that argument in Romans 3 to call God both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He has done it all. He has provided the justice. He has provided the justification. He has done it all. This, friends, is, this is the good word of the gospel if we've ever heard it. God signs the covenant contract of our salvation. He signs it. He says, here are the terms. I'm establishing them both the human and divine, I agree to those terms and catch this, and I accept the consequences if those terms are broken. So, in comes Jesus. He comes to the earth. He lives a perfect life, right? He fulfills all of the righteous requirements of the law. He has has done it. And yet, the twist, the twist of the gospel is that Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, also pays the penalty for breaking that covenant contract. He pays the penalty not for his own deficiency, but for our deficiency. This, you see, is what makes the new covenant absolutely and fully secure, tight, foolproof. This is what makes Jesus our perfect and substitutionary sacrifice. This is what a better promise looks like, but uh, but they continue, actually. The better promises continue. The new covenant also stands on the better promise that God is going to bring lasting and inward change. The new covenant brings real inward change to our lives, and, and this is really, really important because... The the temptation, having heard all of that good news about God fulfilling terms, might be to say, well, man, if he's he's taking care of everything, then I'm just off a hook, right? I mean, if he's going to make it all right and he's going to secure my place and he's taking care of business, then I'm good, right? No, no, because the text continues and the text tells us that not only will God fulfill the terms of the new covenant, but he will bring change, lasting, inward change to us. Verse 10, look at it. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds. I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. They shall not teach everyone his neighbor and every one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least to the greatest. This is not superficial Christianity. This is not cheap grace, not by a long shot. In fact, if you claim to be a Christian, then we have to understand that Christianity is built on a better promise of a life changed, not from the outside in, not attempting to take a law and and to obey it with all of our hearts and thereby idolatrizing legalism or just forsaking it altogether and pushing it away. The new covenant gives us something better. The better promise is that God will not write his will and his word on tablets of stone. He will write his will and his word on your heart. Do you see the difference? This is one of the fundamental differences between the old and the new covenant, that that God comes in. This is unbelievable. Think about this. This means that all of a sudden, you now have the desire to love and obey God. We're not born with that. Trust me. I think we all know that in a moment of honesty. But this means that that the sins that once tasted so sweet now taste sour in our mouth. We want to spit them out. And and also this means that, that your new desires will need lead to new decisions. It'll it'll lead to a change of mind and a turning away from those things and, and turning to Jesus. We we call that repentance. And guess what? All of that, all of that is a gift from the Lord. Six or seven times, I will make, I will write, I will do. All a gift from the Lord. John Piper's helpful little book uh, called Five Points, he, he says if the new covenant is to be any more successful than the old, God will have to take out the heart of stone that we all have and give his people a heart that loves him. In other words, he will have to take the miraculous initiative to secure the faith and the love of his people. And friends, that is the better promise of the new covenant, that he will do that inward, lasting change, a new heart. One of the, uh, the first books that I ever bought for my daughter uh, is a book called Daddy Promises. It's a, it's a great little book. I would strongly recommend it. This first page is missing. It's gotten a lot of wear over the last... Uh, last nine years. And it, it, it you know, has wonderful little phrases and I will say I'm sorry and ask you to forgive me when I've hurt you. Sometimes even good dads make mistakes. There's only one perfect father, our father in heaven. And he goes on and on and it finishes Daddy Promises. Very, very sweet. I, I love this book. She just asked me to read to her last week, believe it or not. And it had been a long time. The new covenant in Christ's blood is God's better book of Daddy Promises. Better promises, new promises, promises that are fulfilled and secured because God does what he says he's going to do. And he does all that we need him to do under the new covenant, better promises. So we have a better mediator under the new covenant. We have better promises under the new covenant. And the final aspect that we will, we will look at tonight of this new covenant that makes it so superior is that the new covenant is better because it offers a better forgiveness Better forgiveness, making it a better covenant. We see this uh, verse 12 as this passage finishes in this section. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. In beautiful poetic Hebrew parallelism he says, I will be merciful toward their iniquities and remember their sins no more. And don't miss the importance of that little connecting word for at the beginning of this. All of this, all of this we've been talking about is built on this idea for I will be merciful because this verse, verse 12, is sitting at the foundation of the entire argument. Why? Well, what's the big issue? The big issue, our big issue, is this sin issue, this, this issue of our iniquity before God, our rebellion against him. How is he going to respond in this new covenant? We see it with absolute mercy, unrestrained and absolute forgiveness in remembering our sins no more. I don't remember what I ate for breakfast this morning. I don't. And I know a lot of you feel the same way. It's why I use a program called Evernote so much. The staff at the church knows this. If it doesn't get typed in Evernote, it's not getting done, baby. I can't remember anything anymore. But God, God doesn't forget anything, does he? He's all-knowing. He knows all things. And so what a statement for him to make that he will remember our sins no more. This is saying that God is actually making an intentional move here. This is, this is an intentional initiative on his part to, to forget our sins, to not count them against us, so to speak, any longer. This is absolutely wonderful, and it's almost unbelievable. I'm not even sure how God can do this. Actually, we we do know how God can do this. We talked about it earlier. It's called Good Friday. It's called the gospel. God does this. He empties our black ledger of sin and fills it with the shining righteousness of Jesus because Jesus provides for us a superior and ultimate and once for all way to deal with the big issue, four, the four issue, the sin issue. Better forgiveness comes because of better sacrifice. And better sacrifice means better covenant. In fact, if you were to keep reading in the book of Hebrews, just, just stuff is all over Hebrews, it's wonderful. You would come to chapter 9, which speaks so clearly and so wonderfully to this issue of better forgiveness. Hebrews 9 and uh, verse 11, just listen to it. Allow your heart to be filled with it. When Christ appeared as high priest, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood. Thus, here it is, securing an eternal redemption. Eternal redemption. Better, forgiveness. I quoted the remarkable song before the throne of God above earlier. You know, there's another verse that says, When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. When When you fall back into that sin that seems to be reoccurring and it's giving you trouble your entire life, when you, when you find yourself in a place that you know is not pleasing to God, engaging in a situation that you know is not pleasing to God, when you find yourself wanting to self-justify yourself and try to make points with God because of all that you do and how many times you come to church, when you find yourself in those places, listen, when Satan tempts you to despair and tells you the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Gone. Because the sinless savior died my sinful soul is counted free for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me better forgiveness the death the work of Jesus on the cross establishes a new and better covenant for our relationship with God I hope and pray you see it We have a better mediator. We have someone who understands us completely. When you are all alone and truly nobody else gets where you are at on the deepest level, Jesus Christ not only gets you, but he mediates on your behalf. He is praying for you right now. One who never grows weary in that ministry of intercession, a better mediator. and We have better promises. We have the full security and assurance like a safe that can never be cracked the full assurance that god has fulfilled all of the terms of this covenant and the full assurance that in addition to that security he gives us he changes us not from the outside not imposing something from the outside but he comes in he writes his will and his word on our hearts better promises and and also better forgiveness unrestrained mercy unashamed forgiveness that washes us completely better mediator better promises Better forgiveness. Better covenant. We'll close tonight. Uh, we're coming to the table of the Lord. Uh, I want to close from Luke 22. Jesus is together with his friends. He is reclining at the table and he takes a cup. Gives thanks and he says, take this, divide it among yourselves for... I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And verse 20, here it is the cup after they had eaten. He says, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. There is no new covenant without Good Friday. It doesn't happen. The blood of Jesus, the blood that he shed on our behalf, initiates and establishes the covenant arrangement, the deal for our relationship with God that we desperately needed. What a Savior. What a covenant. Let's pray. Father, may we be amazed, stricken with awe because of the wonder of what Jesus accomplished on the cross and we've only looked at it from one angle tonight, the new covenant. Thank you, Father, that at the heart of covenant is a relationship. And it's a relationship that Jesus was willing to do something about in a sacrificial way. It's a binding agreement Father, thank you that the new covenant is truly a better covenant with a better mediator built and enacted on better promises bringing better forgiveness. As we come to the table now, may our hearts rise and rejoice in thunderous praise. In brokenness and humility at the cost. Change us, we pray. Help us to read and see and submit to the word and will that you have written upon our hearts as your people. If there are those here who feel like you are more on the outside, on stone tablets than you are actually in their hearts, I pray that you would do the work of the new covenant tonight, that you would regenerate their hearts, that you'd bring them from spiritual death to life in Jesus Christ as they exercise faith in him, saying that he's the only thing that will save me. I am in need of a savior and Jesus is the only one. His work is sufficient and then turning and repenting from that old life to a brand new life saturated with peace and forgiveness and hope. Lord, thank you for Jesus and all that he's done for us. It's in his name and by his work and authority that we speak to you tonight. Amen. We have the table arranged a little differently tonight. I want to just walk you through some of the the details and the logistics. Uh, You see three stations here. Each have uh, bread that has been torn. Uh, We invite anyone who names Jesus Christ as their Savior and King and Lord. And if this is the first time that you have done that tonight, I am so thrilled and thankful that you have heard the gospel and responded to it with faith and repentance you are welcome at this table you don't have to call Old North your church home but we do want you to call Jesus your Lord and so as you come if you're unable to come uh, there will be uh, one or two ushers stationed in the back that will be able to come to you but we invite you to come to one of these these three tables to take a piece of the bread to to dip it into the juice just give it a little shake there at the end and and, and then you can feel free to partake uh, individually And then we will come together after everyone has partaken of the table and sing a hymn of great and glorious praise to our Savior. So uh, we pray that it's a blessing uh, to you, that it's a meaningful time for you with your Savior and King and with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me pray, and then you're welcome to come. Father, this table represents so many things among which it represents the blood of the new covenant. As we partake, I do pray that you would help us to partake in a sense where we are humbled into the dust because of what it cost Jesus to go to the cross. All of our junk, all of our sin, all of our shame thrust upon him. And I also pray that this table would give us hope that lifts us to the sky knowing that Jesus went willingly, that you thought much of us when we were shaking our fists to the sky and you pulled us out of darkness. You breathed new life into us and you give us a covenant, an arrangement to live with you and for you in a way that only you could do. Lord, we come tonight thankful people. In Christ's name. Amen. God bless you as you come.